Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Today, I wanted, we're going to continue our series called This Christmas, This Christmas, and This Christmas, I am hoping that you lay down your shame. This Christmas, I'm hoping that you lay down your shame, that shame no longer has a place in your life. And today, I want to talk to us about picture day and broken chairs, picture day and broken chairs. And I think most of us know what both of those are, and it will make sense in just a little bit. The word shame has a lot of different connotations and feelings to it. Um, For some of us, it means guilt. For some of us, it means dishonor or regret. In fact, there's a definition when it comes to shame that says it is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And the, and the weird thing about guilt and the weird thing about shame is that we experience shame or guilt or whatever emotion you want to tie this to when we are adults, definitely when we're teenagers, but also when we're really, really young. Uh, as I was sitting there trying to think about the first time I felt ashamed or the first time I felt shame that I remembered, I was a little kid, probably about five years old, and I went shopping with my mom. For all of you that grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, your childhood, this is going to take you back. She took me shopping to Skaggs Alpha Beta. Somebody, come on, come on. Sounds like a disease. That's probably why they changed the name. But Skaggs Alpha Beta, and when we were growing up, you know, your parents just let you go anywhere you wanted to in the 80s, and that's why so many kids got lost and freaked out. Um, but when we went, there was a candy bin, and they had all kinds of candy just there, and you grabbed a little bag, and you put whatever candy you wanted in it. You remember this? Some of you are kind of nodding. You know what I'm talking about? And one of my favorite candies when I was a kid was Brock's Caramels that look like this. You, come on. Some of you, you were like, you can taste it right now. And your grandparents had these all the time and they never threw them out and they got like white and hard, right? Like it's like, okay. And I remember walking by and I did what probably every little kid would have done. You just grabbed a handful and kept walking when your mama didn't see, right? I grabbed about five like caramels with my greedy, steely hands and like just went and my mom's in front of me. I'm just walking and I'm unwrapping and eating, right? And my sister looks at me and I look at her and she's like, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, shh. Hush. And we walk and we get to the checkout counter quicker than I could eat the caramels. And my mom goes, what are you doing? And my mom was a scary mom. Anybody else have a scary mom? Like she had that look. She didn't have to say one thing. You just knew she was either possessed by the devil or you were in trouble. It was one or the other. And she goes, what are you doing? Where are you? Where'd you get those? And I go, from home. She goes, you didn't get those from home. So now not only am I a thief, I'm a liar, right? And she goes, you're not just a thief, you are a liar, Justin. And she grabbed me and she found the store manager and she goes, tell him what you've done. She, and on the way, I remember this, on the way, she goes, you're probably gonna end up going to jail for this. And I just start bawling. 
I'm like, I, I, I'm five years old and what mom said's true, right? Like I'm bawling, I'm like, I took five caramels, I ate them all, you know? And he's like, don't ever do this again. You know, and it scared the just absolute poop out of me. And I remember, why was I crying? Was I a sissy? Yeah, but was I scared? Yeah, but can I tell you, I was ashamed. I had so much shame because what I did, I knew was wrong. And today, man, it'd be awesome if while I'm talking, I'm just talking about us stealing five caramels, but shame has a lot heavier consequences and a lot heavier weight than just five caramels that we're talking about today, right? Some of us, we are dealing with guilt and we are dealing with shame as adults, and now you feel guilt and anger and, and the big one, embarrassment, because what you did, you knew better. Just like I did when I was five years old. I, I, I knew better, but I did it anyways. And some of us were here, and, and it's hard for us to come to church. Some of us watching online today, the reason you stay at home watching online is because it's too embarrassing to go in public. It's too embarrassing to come to church because what if somebody knows what I have done? What if somebody realizes that I'm that guy that was on the news? And it's really difficult to deal with shame when people know. It's, it's hard to deal with your spouse when somebody knows you've messed up with your parents, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your friends. And then there's the whole aspect of you just hope people don't know what you've done. They don't ever find out what you've done and you're killing, carrying shame and you're carrying guilt and you're just hoping, you're just praying that they don't find out. In fact, some of us parents, one of the big things is we feel guilty and we feel shame and ashamed and embarrassed, of, not of things we've done, but of things our kids have done. And what do you do? How do you handle that? How do you, how do you and I this Christmas let go of the weight of shame and guilt and embarrassment and how do we move on? Jesus shared a story that he called parables. And one of the, probably the most famous parable is the parable about the prodigal son. It's one of my favorites. And the prodigal son, when you understand the context of the Jewish community, when Jesus is telling this story, it's a scandalous story. It's, it's a story with a lot of weight. Because you know the story, I know the story. The youngest son goes to his dad, and he goes up to his dad and says, I want my inheritance now. And so this is what he is saying to his father in the Jewish community. I don't care about you. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I just want what is coming to me, and you are pretty much dead to me. And when he makes this request and the father grants it, it is one of the most scandalous things that would have happened in that Jewish community and that Jewish neighborhood. And when something scandalous happens in, in, in our world or even in the Jewish community, can I tell you, times haven't changed. It spreads like wildfire, right? And all of a sudden, what has happened and what has occurred has spread through this Jewish community. And we pick up, and it says this in John, Luke chapter 15, verse 13 through 20. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs and the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. 
When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And one of the parts of this passage of scripture that I that stands out to me today is this, is that he wasted his inheritance on wild living, on foolish living. You wanna talk about regret, you wanna talk about being embarrassed. He wasted so quickly and foolishly what took his father a lifetime to provide. And shame, embarrassment, and guilt kept the son in the pig pen and kept him from coming home for a really long time. And we start seeing just a small snapshot of how shame and how guilt works. And it's our first point today. Understand, shame keeps you running from, but grace leads you running to. Right? Shame keeps you running from all the guilt, all the embarrassment, all the regret, and it keeps you from coming home. This young prodigal son is sitting there and he is practicing what he is going to say to his dad. Shame keeps you practicing the speech before you ever take a step back home because you know you were wrong. You know you blew it. You know what you did you shouldn't have done. And have any of you ever practiced a speech when you know you were in the wrong? Woo, I'm there. I remember when my mom got a brand new Pontiac Grand Prix. It was cherry red, it was fast, it was way better than my Ford Tempo, and I come home from college, and me and Fish are going out that night, our business director, and I'm like, hey mom, can I drive your new car? And she throws me the keys, I'm like, sweet, and we're driving around downtown Oklahoma City, and we're on the highway, and all of a sudden, a car stops all of a sudden in front of me, I can't go right, I can't go left, and I rear end the car in front of me, a car rear ends me from behind, we're in a car pile up, and I'm like, Fish, I'm a dead man. My mom's gonna kill me. And I start practicing because I know, I know she's going to be hacked off. And I come in and I'm like, hey, hey mom, I, I need to tell you something. And she was like, why are you home early? Because I never came home early. If your teenager comes home early, parent, something went wrong. I'm just telling you, oh, I just wanted to come home. No, 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 no. Something went wrong. And I come home and I'm like, mom, mom, I, I, I'm sorry, I got in a wreck. And I, she goes, give me the keys, give me the keys. And I'm like, but mom, I just need to tell you, I don't wanna hear it, I don't even wanna look at you. Just give me the keys and leave. And I love Fish, he comes in and is like, Sharon, there's really nothing Justin could do. She's like, I don't care, just give me the keys. And my dad's like, just go, it's okay, right? Here's the deal, most of us, when we blow it, we feel like this is gonna be the response of everybody we have to deal with. Right? It was just a car, I'm good, all's great. My confidence is still okay, it's a little shaken, but I'm okay. But we feel like this is going to be the response. And we feel like this is how our Heavenly Father is going to react to us because we blew it. And some of us, it's not that you were in a car accident, what you did was on purpose, you did it consciously knowing what you were doing. 
and you covered your tracks and you were hoping somebody didn't find out. And some of you, that's the fear you're in right now. You're just hoping somebody doesn't find out. But can I tell you, when you understand how grace works, you stop trying to run from all the shame and all the guilt and all the embarrassment and all the fear because no matter how fast you run or no matter how far you can run, you can't outrun it. And when you understand the bigness of grace and how grace works, and when you understand the love your heavenly father has for you and the love that Jesus has for you and for me, it gets you heading home immediately. And you stop practicing your speech because you understand what Jesus did on a cross is way bigger than anything I ever did in my life. And what he did and the sacrifice he made on my behalf and on your behalf is way bigger than any guilt, any shame, any embarrassment that I could ever have in my life. And today it's not about hoping that somebody doesn't find out. right? Some of us, we're at church and we're just hoping somebody doesn't find out what we were before we came to church or before we recommitted our life and we're hiding and we're not sharing and we're just like, oh, just won't because we're so bogged down with shame and guilt. And here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse one through two. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I love how it reads in the amplified version. Verse one says, therefore there is now no condemnation. No guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. And when you understand this is how grace works and this is how shame operates, you come to the realization that you can stop hiding and avoiding and start boasting and bragging. You can stop hiding and avoiding all that you were, all that has happened, all your past life, all your sins, all your indiscretions, all your screw-ups, all your mess-ups, all the things you're trying to cover up. You don't have to avoid and cover it up, but I have been forgiven, I have been made new, I have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is grace that is bigger than my, than my, my deficit and what I have committed and what I'm guilty of, and he has forgiven me, and so I can boast and I can start bragging. So many times, we're just hiding who we were instead of boasting about who we were before Jesus met us and bragging about all that he has done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through 31 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast boast only about the Lord. And there's one thing some of us need to get better at, it's bragging and boasting about our Lord, right? We're so busy avoiding what we were that we're not boasting about what he is. The other day, somebody from our church ran into somebody I went to junior high with. And I I haven't been shy in sharing 
who and what I was in junior high and even early elementary, man, I was a weird, weird kid. And in picture day, picture day was a big day, right? Because your mom set out your outfit, um, this is what you're wearing today. I don't care, son, this is what you're wearing. And um, I remember going to picture day, I got my OP on or my one polo that I owned, right? And we went to picture day and this is a few pictures of what I look like in like fifth grade and mid high. Now, some of you that haven't seen this, now it all makes sense why Casey couldn't say no because she felt sorry for me. And one of our church people just recently ran into somebody that I went to junior high with and they started talking about, hey, where do you go to church? He's like, I go to a church called Foundation Church. Oh, who's the pastor there? His name's Justin Graves. Justin Graves? Like, I went to school with a guy named Justin Graves. Is he weird and nerdy? And the guy's like, well, yeah. Um, and he's like, man, that, that guy was the weirdest cat in school. Like, he had no friends. He just a weird, he's a pastor? Are you kidding me? And this guy comes back and he tells me, hey, I met somebody named Jeff who knew you from junior high. And he said, you were a total nerd. And I'm like, bro, let me just tell you. I didn't get mad. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, he called me a nerd, right? I'm, I'm 47. I'm like, bro, I wasn't a nerd. The nerds wouldn't even claim me. Like I was the weird kid who sat at the cafeteria by himself, had no friends. Like when I was walking the halls and I had, they didn't give me a hall pass because they didn't know what I would do. They were like, watch this kid. He's a weird, weird cat, right? I, I, I would have been the kid playing Dungeons and Dragons all by myself if my mama would have let me, right? I was just weird. And I didn't get mad. I didn't get upset. How dare you call me a nerd? That's who I was. Can I tell you when I realized what I was, but who God has created me, I boast and I brag about not what I was, but where I am. And when we have moved on from where we lived at, we can get real honest about the living conditions of where we were, right? And so I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not nervous about what was. I'm excited about what is. That's why I love Nate Gormley's testimony. Nate, man, has an awesome testimony. He helps lead our AA that meets here on Mondays and Fridays from 6.30 to 7.30 back in the kids area. And man, it's awesome to see his testimony because people find out that he was a drug addict. He's like, bro, I wasn't just a drug addict. I was a drug dealer, right? You were an alcoholic. I wasn't just an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. And you've been to prison? Bro, I didn't just go to prison. Prison was like my second home. They knew my name, right? Like, uh, you, you, you stole from your job. I didn't just steal. I, am, I didn't steal. I embezzled. It wasn't five caramels. Like, it was a caramel factory, right? And Nate's not boasting about what he's done. He's not proud of what he's done. Can I tell you? He's boasting about all that God has done. He's proud of where God has brought him to. He's not hoping people don't find out about what he was. He wants them to know about what he was so there can be hope for what they are and where God can take them. And he realizes when I don't keep secrets, they don't have power. And here's what I want us to know. Shame has no power when your life no longer holds any secrets. Man, that's so big. And some of you, you've still got secrets that you're hoping somebody doesn't find out. Secrets that are long way back in your past. And shame no longer holds power when your life no longer holds secrets. So here's what I want you to know, and I love this point. 
you don't have to hide your broken things from Jesus. Such a good point. You don't have to hide your broken things from Jesus. Me and my sister were young, fourth grade, seventh grade. I'm in fourth, she's older, seventh grade. We fought like, I mean, it was like UFC anytime our parents left. It was like a cage match. We would use guitars. We would use my dad's trombone. I mean, we would, this case, we would use tennis rackets, bats, and we would nail each other. And anytime our parents come up, did you guys fight? No, we were fighting. It's like stepbrothers, but it was me and my sister. And so we're sitting there, we're fighting, and I forgot who did what, but I know what happened. We're running around the dining room table. You know which dining room table I'm talking about. Not the one you eat at all the time, the one you never eat at unless somebody important comes over. That's the same time your mom pulled out the initialed engraved towels and put them in the guest bathroom that you were never allowed to. You don't, you don't wipe your hands on those, right? I'm like, it's a towel. So we're running around the dining room table. One of us pulls a chair out. The other one falls on it and breaks one of the dining room table's legs off. But you could kind of shimmy it back jaggedly and nobody could tell it was broken unless you put pressure on it. So we did what any great kids would do. And this is when me and my sister started becoming allies instead of enemies. We put this chair back together, we put it under the table and we swore we would never say a word. Unbeknownst to me and my sister, my mom and dad planned a dinner later that week with their pastors. Now their pastor's not like your pastor. Their pastor wore a suit and tie and was called brother and his wife was called sister. So you knew they were old and important. Anytime you're, you start out introducing somebody's brother and sister, brother and sister Newburn. They were all over the state, all over the nation. And that we were having them in was like having the Pope or something to, to dinner. And so me and my sister are like, where, where are we sitting? Well, the dining room table, of course. And we're like, okay. And they're like, why are you asking? I'm just worry, wondering, wondering if we can help. <laughs> so they come over, we're sitting there. Me and my sister sit ourselves on the ends or in the middle and uh, Brother Newburn grabs the chair. He pulls it out, everything's fine. I'm like, hold, hold, hold. He goes to sit, and when he sits, it's like that thing turned into a lazy boy. I mean, he went, bop, bop, bop. And I mean, you just heard pop, and then you went, ugh. <laughs> like, ugh. And my, it didn't, like, I mean, he's down on the count. The old guy just, ugh, you know. And my mom, without skipping a beat, Randall, I told you we need a new dining room table, right? Like, it's, it's so old, it's breaking. And he, he goes, I think you're onto something, Sharon. Like, a guy's down there. <laughs> I think you got a point. Me and my sister just sitting there eating. We didn't say a thing. <laughs> yeah, dad, it's time for a new dining room table. We didn't tell our parents that this happened for 20 years. <laughs> no, I, I'm not kidding. I was married, my sister's married, she's got a kid. It happened on Christmas Eve. We're around the dining room table, finally, the new one. And we're sitting there and me and my sister start talking about the time Brother Newburn fell and we broke the chair and my dad started crying and laughing and like clapping his hands and my mom still got as mad as if it just happened. She was so ticked. 
She's like, I, I don't even know if I can eat. I don't know if you just ruined Christmas. And so many times we think God's gonna look at our broken things that same way. We think, oh, oh, it's broken and he's gonna be mad and he's gonna be upset because, because I knew what I was doing, right? Me and my sister, we were the ones at fault. We were the ones that broke it. We knew it was our blame and our problem. And the reason we didn't tell him is because we were afraid, well, we knew. <laughs> we would get in a ton of trouble. Can I tell you, Jesus can handle your broken things. And for the broken things, some of you, you are the broken thing. He can handle your brokenness. And it says this in Romans 5, verse 8, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners. While we were still a mess, while we're still broken, while we're still guilty, and we're carrying the shame and we're carrying the embarrassment and we're carrying the imperfections that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, Christ died for us. And for some of you today, yes, it may be your fault. You may have made mistakes, you may have known better. Maybe your family got hurt, maybe your spouse got hurt, maybe your kids, maybe your parents got hurt. Maybe nobody knows about it. Can I tell you, Jesus is capable of handling your broken thing today. And he takes broken things and he doesn't just fix the broken things, he takes broken things and turns them into new things. He makes all things new again. That's the savior you serve. That's the power of your heavenly father. And he's saying this, don't stay away. Don't let shame keep you running the opposite way, but come home, because that's the power of grace. And instead of having guilt, and instead of having shame, come home. First John 1, 9 says this, if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from all our unrighteousness. Can I tell you, you do your part and he's capable of doing his. I didn't share this in first service because I didn't have time, but I remember growing up in college, in high school, and I was addicted to pornography. I didn't get free from pornography till about my senior year in Bible college. Let this sink in. I'm studying to be a pastor while being addicted to pornography. Knew my calling, knew what I wanted to do, but there was an addiction in my life and I couldn't get past the shame, the guilt, the secrets. And I just thought, man, if I come clean on this, I'm gonna get kicked out of Bible college. I'm gonna forfeit my calling and God can't handle this. And yet I found some accountability partners. I found some friends, found some people that actually I went to church with that let me be imperfect, that let me struggle and love me through the struggle and led me to a better way of living through a relationship with Christ that wasn't always clean, but was really, really messy, but led me to a better place. Can I tell you, that's what the Bible's full of. When Jesus met the woman at the well, 
He told her not just what all she had done, but what she was currently doing. And he led her to, he forgave her. He showed her a better way to live. And as a result, she went down to the village, the very people that didn't like her, the very people that she felt so ashamed, so much guilt, so much like embarrassment that she couldn't draw water when the other ladies were drawing water. And she goes down and she goes, you gotta meet this guy. You gotta meet this savior that changes everything and forgave me about everything and told me everything I did. And as a result, thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ because she was no longer trying to hide her guilt, hide her shame, but she was boasting in the power of the Lord because he's capable of handling your broken things and he makes new things out of things that are broken. And can I tell you, if he's done it for this guy that was a pastor now, if he's done it for the woman at the well, if he's done it for the woman caught in the act of adultery, if he's done it for the thief on the cross, he is capable of handling your broken things and leading you to a better way of living. All you gotta do is trust that he is capable, that he is more than able of handling your broken things. Let's pray today. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we just, we lean on your word today. First John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, all the things that we're feeling guilty about, all the things that we're embarrassed about, all the things that we're feeling shame about. You're faithful. You're capable. You're able, you're willing, and just to forgive us from all our unrighteousness, all the things we've done, all the screw-ups, all the broken things, all the brokenness. God, you forgive us from it all and you lead us to a better way of living. And so, Lord, I pray today that this Christmas, that this day, that this moment, man, that we wouldn't be captive by shame and guilt and embarrassment. Lord, that we, that we wouldn't keep looking over our shoulder and being paranoid, but Lord, we would just rest in the goodness of the God we serve and the power of his forgiveness and the bigness of his grace that Lord, you are bigger enough to handle our broken things. You are capable enough to handle our broken things. And so Lord, I pray for some of us that we would lay shame and we would lay guilt down for what we were and we would boast about all that you are and all that you have done. Lord, it's in Jesus' name, I pray. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. 